All right. Here we go. Are you really ready? I'm really ready. Are you really, really ready? I'm really, really ready. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I was listening to Kip Winger earlier. Let's do. All Let's right. Go. Uh, Tuesday, 107, OTP. <sighs> I'm going for a minimal approach. You like that? I was I just like minimal. That. Yeah. Who are you? Who Who am I? Yeah. I'm I'm the one who just said that. That's a deep conversation. That's right. Who am I? <laughs> who am I? That sounds like a whole show topic. <laughs> like the, the 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 Anthony Michael Hall in the Breakfast Club. Yeah. Who am I? I'm a walrus. <laughs> He's got the pen. How did Anthony um, Michael Hall ever end up on SNL? I, you know what? How did how is SNL still going? Yeah, I guess you're right. I don't know. He yeah. he was on that one show that what, what, where he saw dead people. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I forget what the name of it is, but yeah. AMC or something. And he was also on Psych for a little while this last season. Yeah, oh. good for Michael him. Hall. I love how he was just credited as the geek. Yeah, well, he made enough money, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, so hey, this is episode 107 of On Taking Pictures. Uh, my name is Jeffrey Sidoris from FadedAndBlurred.com, where we have a brand new Flipboard magazine. I saw that. Yeah, it's very cool. People are digging it. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it's it's a it's a good platform. I like Flipboard quite a bit. So, so is that just a matter of of sort of rejiggering RSS feeds in some way? I don't I don't know the the, the tech behind it. Okay, I would imagine there's something in there that uh, that's like that because you you can add you can add your own. URLs to it in addition to the curated sort of uh, selections that they have for you. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and with me, the RSS curious, <laughs> Bill Wadman. I like RSS feeds. Yeah. I cannot lie. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I like big feeds that I cannot lie. <laughs> yeah. I have a bit of a headache today, so this is going to be interesting. All right. Well, we'll go slow. <laughs> We'll use little bitty words. All right, where do you want to start? Stuff. We got a huge list of things to talk we about. Get, well, yeah, and we're probably not going to get through them right right we before the that. show. Right before the show, uh, we were we were discussing the, the difference between art and craft, and we were going to talk about it today. But I think we should save that because I think that's a bigger discussion. Okay. Because uh, there there are some interesting differences and similarities and and what defines one but not the other or what what informs one but not the other i think that yeah. could be a bigger discussion intent intent yeah all right well we could well i i'm, go, I'm going to i'm gonna hint on it later in a little story that we're going to talk about foreshadowing yeah, yeah. okay um well where do you want to start I'm reading a lot of books right now. I'm reading, I think I've got five books that I'm reading, all nonfiction, because I don't, I don't typically read more than one fiction book at a time, but when I, I'm reading I nonfiction, you juggling. Yeah. <laughs> when I'm reading nonfiction, I typically read a, a, a few titles at a time. And one of the ones that I'm reading right now is a, a, a book called Creativity Incorporated or Creativity Inc. Mm-hmm. by Ed Catmull. Okay. And Ed Catmull, for those of you who may recognize the name, but not quite place it. Ed Catmull was, was one of the people that formed Pixar with, uh, with jobs and John Lasseter. Got it. And the, the book talks about creativity as kind of a, an underlying force, a driving force, getting you to art. 
So okay. I guess it focuses on um, the idea of of first first you you create the artist, and and then the art will come. Don't okay. don't worry about making art. Worry about worry about making the artist, and and the art will come as a byproduct of of being an artist. All right. So what what does that mean? What is what does being an artist mean? If not well, making think, art, I think it. It, it means different things to different people. I, I think you can make art and not, not live an artistic or, or live a creative life. Sure. I, think, I think art is, is still, by and large, determined by those people who, who view your work. I don't set out to make something that's art. I set out to just make something. And if you want to call it art, so be it. I don't... I don't typically think of myself as an artist. I think of myself as somebody who paints and writes and, and takes pictures. If, if you want to call that art, okay. okay. But I don't, I don't want to label myself that. And that's just me. Why is that? Why, what, what's your, what's your, are you, are you worried that somebody's going to see that as self aggrandizing or something? No, I, I just, I think because I am, more process driven than outcome driven. I focus more on, on the process that it takes to make these things. Okay. All right. You That's know, fair. I, I, I would rather be a musician than a rock star. I'd rather be a painter than an artist. I'd rather be, do you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I mean, focusing on being an artist, not making art, it's almost like, um, <clears throat> You, you, at a certain level, you have to be, you have to have, you have to see life a certain way in order to make things that are interesting. You yourself, question, I guess, posit. Do, do you have to be interesting in order to make interesting things? You I think so. Yes. So, so it's it's harder to speak on a certain level if you haven't experienced those emotions. Say. In your own life, so, sure. So, so is 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 Ketmel arguing that one must have experience before they should set out to actually make stuff? Does that make sense? I don't like, think it's a necessary. Fill up the hopper, or uh, what's the what's the what do they talk about when you're um, starting an engine? You uh, prime the pump, you right? Know? Right. I don't think he's saying that that's a, a prerequisite, but it's certainly par for the course. Okay. You know, one of the things that he that he talks about is the 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 the, the environment of Pixar, the, the the way, even down to the way the building was was laid out, and and he says built on the site of a former cannery, Pixar's fifteen acre campus just over the Bay Bridge from San Francisco was designed inside and out by Steve Jobs. Its name, in fact, is the Steve Jobs Building. It has well-thought-out patterns of entry and egress that encourage people to mingle, meet, and communicate. Outside, there's a soccer field, a volleyball court, a swimming pool, a 600-seat amphitheater. Sometimes visitors misunderstand the place, thinking that it's fancy for fancy's sake. What they miss is that the unifying idea for this building isn't luxury, but community. Steve wanted the building to support our work by enhancing our ability to collaborate. And I find that really interesting that, that... Pixar as a as a corporation as a company 
their one of at least their prime concerns is letting you do what you do. We're not going to stand over you. We're not going to hover and micromanage. We hired you for a reason. We hired you for who and what you bring to the table. And we're going to do whatever we can to facilitate you being able to do and be those things. Yeah. And, but, but don't you think other people think that? Do you think that that's actually unique or, or, or is that, I think it is that unique in corporate, in corporate culture. Yeah, I do. See, the one thing I'd, I'd say about that is that, you know, he makes it sound like Steve Jobs was the architect of the building, where I'm sure it was Steve Jobs in a room with a bunch of smart people who said, we want to lay it out this way. And he said, well, how about trying that a little bit that way? And they go, oh, sure, Steve, you're, you've got the money. So, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, it makes it sound I like do, Steve Jobs was sitting there, like worrying about the angle of every single corner in the building. I think I can't was. believe that he is. There is a very famous story on how he paid, you know, 50 some odd thousand dollars choosing the color green behind a staircase and having it redone and redone and redone and redone because it wasn't exactly what he felt it should be. So I think I think, yeah, I don't I don't think it was it was akin to him designing a fashion line for Kmart and just sort of being there. I think he did have a very intricate and integral role in in in, in all of these things. Okay. I just, I, whenever I hear about all the things that Steve Jobs supposedly had done, I was just like, there's no way one person could do all of these things at the level that they're claiming, you know, but that's just me. Well, here's the question though is, okay. So he's talking about Pixar as they got started up until now. Let me, let me continue on this for a second. Sure. One of the things that, 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 that he, he is not struggling with now, but talks about the struggle then is, why he was doing what he had, he was doing and what he ultimately wanted to do. He, he writes, but my internal sense of purpose, the thing that had led me to sleep on the floor of the computer lab in graduate school just to get more hours on the mainframe, that kept me awake at night as a kid solving puzzles in my head that fueled my every workday had gone missing. I'd spent two decades building a train and laying its track. Now the thought of merely driving it struck me as a far less interesting task. He didn't want to be further up in the management chain. Right. Now, for what does this mean for us and, and for this show and yep. for photography and, sure. and making things? Well, what I think it means is maybe, maybe you've built – you've spent years building a business or a career and, and now you're, you're sitting there with the reality of it going, hmm, is this really what I signed on for? Right. Sure. Is, yeah. is this, you know, uh, is, is shooting senior portraits why I got into this? Yeah. And maybe it is. And if it is, then good on you. I hope you're doing well at it. And I hope you love going to work every day. But for some people, it's not. Photography and, and, and any sort of creative endeavor is not immune from the drudgery of any other. Oh, absolutely endeavor. not. In fact, in some ways, it is uh, m- more of a danger because it's something that you you would think that you would actually love before you got involved in it. So it's, it's ripe to be destroyed. You know what I mean? Like it's, 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 it's anything bad that happens is going to like wilt the rose really quickly, you know? Um, Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you, you talk about him because there's another story I found the other day about, 
the guy, what's his name? His name is Will Vinton. Yeah. Okay. You know, the guy the did the Cal- claymation California stuff. California Raisins. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He was huge for a while. Yeah. It was, it was about how he started doing this stuff and then it got huge in the eighties and then he wanted to expand and get into, uh, the movies and stuff like that. And so he borrowed a bunch of money from the guy who started Nike mm-hmm. and, uh, and then sort of blew through a lot of the money with the downturn in 2001 and blah, 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 and built a building that they never used cause they didn't expand. And some TV show they were working on kind of collapsed. And, uh, he went back for more money and the guy was like, well, I'll have to take a controlling stake in the company. And then by a year later he was kicked out and the guy's son is the boss. Right. Okay. Um, but he went back, you know, the end of the story is that he's like back in his house doing what it is that he loved in the first place, you know? So, but, but, you know, even success can get away from you. Absolutely. I mean, I, I would claim that, that Pixar, you know, the last few years, Pixar is not, I don't think won the Academy Awards for best animated movies. Other companies are, you know, like since Toy Story three, it's like Cars two, Brave, Monsters University. They, you know, I didn't think Brave was very good at all. The Cars movies have always sort of been like, nah. You know, like right. has 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 Pixar lost its thing? Was the golden age of Pixar's creativity before you know Lasseter left and 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 Jobs died and all this kind of stuff? Like, is that culture that he's talking about in that book in that paragraph still there, or is that a bubble in time? And the, and the world has changed. That's a great question. And one of the things that he, one of the other things that he talks about is, is trying to create an environment, a culture that outlasts the founders. Right. Which is the classic Apple university thing or whatever they are. Sure. They do. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, It's, but it's interesting how he well. So what you're saying is that he wanted to make stuff. He was in the, was in the room, made this thing happened with a bunch of other people, this huge monstrous cultural change. Um, But here he is at the top of it. And somehow he's lost what it was that he enjoyed about doing it in the first place. It seems like it. Yeah. I'm not through the book yet, but it seems like, and, and and this is a common, a common tale because the business part of it isn't interesting. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, for, for those people that want to create. Yep. I don't want to do the accounting. I don't want to right. do the taxes. I don't want to do the books. And maybe I, you, you know. don't even want to be the guy who the team of 15 people come in the room and say, all right, here's our idea. We're going to run you a few scenes and then you can make comments and then we'll leave and keep working on it. Right. You know, right. Cause I mean that some people want to be that guy, right. Want to be sort of the creative, the creative director. Yeah. Um, the, the downside of that is that it's generally not your ideas from the right. get go. It's like your, your job is to be a traffic cop, not to be a driver. Yeah. If that's, if that's your choice, you know, I, I had a, I, I spoke to Corwin Hebert uh, over the weekend who was David Dushman's manager Okay, and super guy to talk to. I really enjoy talking to both of them. And, and I, you know, we were talking about, about much of this kind of thing. And I said, you know, it, it's over the past couple years, I have realized that I am not an entrepreneur. I, I don't. I don't have that. Not only skill set, but I don't have that passion. Yeah, I don't have the passion of 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 
forming the thing and making the the thing happen and and getting the funding and all of that. I don't have that. I don't have that way of thinking. I just want to make things. Well, I think part of the problem there, and I'm I'm not disagreeing with how you see, you know, your thing. I'm agreeing with you is that part of the entrepreneurial spirit is putting the business at at least equal footing with the making stuff, if right. not higher up. Absolutely. And, and that, that <clears throat> is what I am not able to do. Right. Yeah. At least currently. Right. Will I learn those skills? I don't know. Right. Yeah. If I had to put money on it, I would say probably not. Yeah. And unless you're really lucky, that's also saying that you are willing to change the creative stuff in order to fit the business stuff. Right. I would rather partner up with somebody who's, who, whose juice comes from that portion of it Yep. and us to sit and hammer out, okay, here's what you do. Here's what I do. Let's see how this fits together and, and go forward. Right, right. You know, and that, that idea of, of noticing what works and what doesn't work not just from a, a, a metrics or a, or a quantification perspective, but from an internal perspective, that's something that I think a lot of us get stuck on because we, we've got the to-do list of, okay, I've got I've to get the lights. I've got to get the lenses. I've got to have social profile. I gotta, I, I, I've got to send out these mailers. I've got to do this. Gotta, and we've, we've got this, this sort of to-do list that we work through in order to make our career or our passion or our interest or whatever term you want to use happen. Yeah. But we don't listen to that little voice going, but are you really digging this? Yeah. <clears throat> are you really digging well, it? I, you know, I think, you know, in the, in the past, you and I have had arguments on the show or disagreements on this show when or on Twitter and whatnot, where where you've said, oh, you should try to do this. And I said, eh, I don't, but I, it doesn't feel right to do that. In some ways, it's because I think you're putting it better than I ever did, which is like, I hate the idea that all of that is a, is feels like a list. They're obligations. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's somehow like, well, that's I'm not here f- to, to 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 be an organizer. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, yeah. Now, I mean, there are ways, of course, around that, you know, you can find people to do the organizing for you, like I'm trying to do now, you know, but, 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 but yeah, I mean, so many of our listeners, they take pictures, they love taking pictures, Jeffrey. And they say, God, man, if I could just quit my job and take pictures all day. Well, you know what, like, unless you're independently wealthy, and you don't need to worry about making a living doing it. You, the, you know, the way you take pictures now is probably not going to be the way you're going to take pictures if you do it for a living. You know? Yes. Yes. It, it yeah. will be a very different, very different thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, and, and, you know, I've struggled with this. I struggle. I still struggle with it. You know, I, I, I love Faded and Blurred. I think it's one of the best looking sites for, for what it is. And I've been very purposeful about not plastering ads everywhere, even though that's what you're supposed to do, right? Right. right. You're supposed to you're supposed to get some sort of AdSense and marketing right. and you're leaving and money on the table. I'm maybe. Yeah. I mean arguably. I'm not I'm not saying you want yeah, you know what I mean. But but you know what? I don't I've seen sites, photography sites, sites that we've mentioned on the show that, you know, you look down the sidebar and there are four of the exact same ad stacked on top of each other. Sure. Yeah. You know, in addition to the, the, the post banner that appears and, you know, 
it's not worth it to me. Well, I mean, the problem is that for oh, this business sort of is split into two, three things. Maybe mm-hmm. there is, there are the, the high end, like commercial photographer people. Right. Right. And, um, and now who would you put in there? Uh, the, like, like the Peter Hurley type yeah, people? Sure. Those okay. kinds of guys. Okay. 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 Um, then there are sort of the, uh, f- photographers you hire for yourself. So, uh, wedding photographers, headshot photographers, like th- that sort of cl- level, that class of, of people, you know, that part. Um, and then there is making money from talking to amateur photographers. The, the, you know, the, the Joe McNally, right. Does Joe McNally really like telling the same story about, you know, s- using 16 speed lights in the desert? I don't know. Maybe he does, but, but I don't think he does it. He's not doing it for, because he enjoys it only. He's doing it because it's also a living, you know, there has to be part of that in there, you know? Okay, um, but where, where is that? Where, where is the fourth? There's a fourth class, which or is group. Who? The people that that uh, that I saw at Paris Photo, the 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 Jean Claude Pondevies, the the Christina Demidels, the yeah, you know, okay. the, the, yes. the Brzezinski's. Sure, the, there there are there are the photographers who are doing their own thing and somehow make it in the fine art world of photography. But if you pool the thousands of people who listen to this show, how many people total were showing at Paris Photo? A couple hundred. Um. Yeah. Maybe. And yeah, that's the yeah, entire yeah. world of seven billion people. You know what I mean? That's like, that's a smaller thing than the billionaires club. Who now apparently Dr. Dre is a member of. Oh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> there's no, actually, no. there's no official word on any of that, right? Uh, well, in, unless you count the drunken video that Tyrese Gibson posted to Facebook. I don't, I don't, uh, just 30 seconds. I don't understand it. Those headphones aren't good. And if Apple wants a streaming service, they can make the deals themselves. So what the hell are they buying? But maybe they can't. What do you That's mean? That's the thing. Because, you don't think because the, the, the record companies will let them? Okay, what, what we're talking about briefly, a brief aside, uh, <laughs> the rumor has it that, that Apple has purchased Beats for $3.2 billion. Yep. Uh, and and uh, effectively uh, uh, making Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine at least honorary board of directors members or somehow high level. God, if this is true, this is a bad sign for Apple in my opinion. Okay. Go ahead. But, but Apple is a lifestyle product, right? Yep. Beats lifestyle product. They, they take headphones that make that they, you know, cost $14 to make and they sell them for a hundred. Yep. Because they've got Dr. Dre's name on them because, because they say beats. Do they sound good? Yeah, they probably sound great. No, but, actually, they sound but like shit. But go ahead. There, there's a there's a culture to it. Sure, but I don't think the culture that line. people who like you think the culture who like Beats are the same who like Dr. Dre are the same people who like Apple. Yeah, I do. Hmm. I mean, look on stage, look in studios. What do you see? You see MacBook Pros. Oh you don't yeah, see yeah, Del- no, no, there, there's that. No, absolutely. But I just, I don't know. I just, it, it seems like if it seems like a strange thing for Apple to spend that much money on. Like, I don't, I don't maybe, understand. Okay. Maybe it, it shows me that Apple doesn't have any ideas of their own. If they're buying beats, which isn't actually that great of a company, like the products aren't that good. You know, they're way overpriced. They're at the bottom of the, you know, in any sort of headphone roundup, they're in the last like two slots of quality. It's like, they're not, it's not a good product. And if Apple starts selling that with an Apple logo on it, 
I don't know. Just it feels like then they've really gone into the fashion over function world. And but what Beats has done really well is create a culture around their product. <laughs> yeah, but like as if Apple needs help doing that. Well, but if if it's true that Apple is branching into wearables, maybe. I don't know. Maybe they get juice from it. I don't know. It seems like a, uh, it seems like a, I don't know. It seems like a bad idea to me. Maybe there's underlying tech that they, that they want. Maybe Maybe. they're, who knows? Yeah. Anyway. I don't know. All right. Back uh, to the uh, other uh, thing. Back to, (laughs) and and, and now back to our story. Um, Okay. So the, the people who are the artists, the fine arts people. Yeah. The people who are, there is a, there is that fourth section, but I think that section is very small. And I think that there are more, even more people who want to get into that world than want to get into any of the other three worlds. Like the ratio of wannabes to successes in that world is But couldn't, couldn't you make this a, a similar argument for music? Mm-hmm. Sure you, you know. I mean, yep. sure, you've, you've got the people who are producing, uh, you know, pop songs that they know are going to get airplay. Yep. But then you've got, you know, a band like the Black Keys or something whose stuff, while I think it's amazing, it's not pop radio. Right. Sure. Yeah. True. You know, but they're out there doing their thing. Yeah. But, you know, in some ways, music is is a slightly different thing in the sense that the average person, there are huge swaths of people who are who are looking for interesting music in like a cultural way. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where there isn't the same sort of audience who's looking for, you know, artsy photography. It's just, you know, I mean, that's a smaller world. Um, but I understand your point. Yeah. I, the question is, like, you think that that world in photography could expand in some way? You think there's an audience for, for a larger segment of people who are doing it almost completely for themselves minus an, an agent or a, or a gallerist who's going to sell the pictures? I do. But I think think the price has to come down. Okay. I, I think, I think that, that, that larger additions, smaller prices. Yes. I, th- I think that, that, you know, we <laughs> Wait, are yes becoming, really good. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we, we are becoming, or maybe have become, um, a society largely driven by microtransactions. It's, it's an app store universe. You know, the idea of, of spending a dollar or two dollars or five dollars here and there has has sort of uh, in, in large part decimated, at least in, in, in gaming, it's decimated the 50 and 60 dollar gaming market. Yeah, ruined. Yeah, sure. So, so, yeah, you can download this game for free, but you can't really actually get anywhere in it unless you pay anyway. Right. So so maybe instead of, you know, the average price of these things being three to $5,000, maybe they're a thousand. Yeah. Maybe they're 500. And instead of an addition of three, it's an addition of 10 or 12. Yeah. You know, the, the, the problem that I see with it is again, it's a collector mentality there, there, there's, there's the idea that it's, I'm buying this because it's going to go up in value, not because I really enjoy it. Right. Well, yeah, but the, the, those galleries are selling, they're not selling to you and me. No, they're not. They're trying to find the people who have too much money and not enough sense. 
<laughs> you know, or or you know what I mean? People who have money just to throw, not throw away in the sense that it's not worth it, but you know, money to play with. You know, okay, but, but serious disposable of, income instead of the limited edition signed darkroom print that was printed by hand by Helmut Newton's printer. Right. Give me an inkjet print on, you know, Red River Polar Matte. Yeah, but where's the craft in that? Well, the craft is in making the image. Ah, okay. Yeah. You know, but you look, because, okay, wait a minute. I'm going to stop you there for a second. Where's the craft in that? When you print your things to sell, you print them on a consumer printer, on consumer paper. Of course I do. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. Right, right. But I... But I so don't, don't dismiss that out of hand. No, I'm not dismissing it out of hand. I am dismissing it out of hand in the sense that what people are buying some Helmut Newton print for is the name Helmut Newton and the, the provenance that comes with that print. Not necessarily the fact that it's a Helmut Newton picture. Right. But, 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 the, but the, the, the business of art, the photography business of fine art has has as much to do with photography as the music business has to do with music right you know but as a person who wants to create yeah you know you've got you've got your head filled with dreams and you've got you you know you you've got your medium format film camera that you've saved up for seven summers for and now you've got it because you want to be a fine art photographer if you look at the odds of it, you'll never start. Of course. But I mean, if you but, look at the odds of being a musician, you'll never start. Yeah, absolutely. And it's sort of the, the whole thing of how, you, you know, I saw an article the other day saying that, you know, there's all this talk about whether or not it's worth going to college anymore because college is so expensive and people have these loans and, right. you know, do you need a college degree anymore if you have the skills and, you know, all this kind of whatever stuff. Sure. And there was some article I read the other day, and I'm not saying whether it's true or not, but it was basically saying it's still worth it. You will end up making X amount more during your lifetime and you will pay off your debts by the time you're 38 and it's still worth it or whatever. I mean, lots of numbers in the article, but that's basically what it was saying. And, and you could, you could take that and you could have somebody who's about to go to college. Like we know people who are about to go to college and you could say, you could argue whether or not it's true. And you could say by the numbers, statistically, you should go to college. You know what I mean? Because you will, it says statistically, the chances are that you will make X amount more right over your lifetime if you go to college. Right. Um, but see, but looking at things, you, you can't live your life based upon statistical analysis of a population. No, and and everybody. But a lot of people do compound that with everybody wants to be the one percent. Absolutely, everybody everyone wants everyone to expects be, to be the one. The, the, yes. the one, yeah, the one exception to the rule. Bill Gates didn't go. Steve Jobs didn't go. Right, of course. Yeah, you know. Yeah, Doctor Dre didn't go. Well, yeah, any yeah, of these people, yeah, sure. they didn't go. Yeah, and I can do that. Yeah, you know. There, I, I we talked a little bit. I, I saw a John Mayer documentary um, recently, and. I think John Mayer is an incredibly talented guy when he sings or plays beyond that. I I have no use for him. He should shut the heck up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But he's talking about going to music school and getting to the point where he didn't need the instruction manual anymore. And it, and it, and it's, it sounds 
kind of douchey the way the way he has said it before, but I understand what he's saying about it, where, where, you know what, you can only sit in your room and read the manual for so long sure. before you have to pick up the camera well, or look, the guitar it, or the absolutely whatever. True. And look, I, you know, I was at Berkeley when John was at Berkeley. So I have, I have a certain level of, 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 of insight into this. And there were kids who, when I got there at 18, played piano in a way that I will never, ever play piano if I practice for 80 years. Like the, just those, those people who are just hot stuff. Now, not right. saying that I couldn't make a living playing piano or I couldn't do something they couldn't do, but but as far as like straight bebop jazz players and stuff, kids who my first night in the dorms, there were piano, like there were practice rooms in the basement. And these two kids who had never met each other were sitting down there like riffing on giant steps for 25 minutes. Right. And with a group of people just surrounding them, sort of like it felt like in a movie, you know what I mean? Right. That kind of thing. And they knew, I would imagine that they were going to do something with this instrument. Of course. Yeah, yeah. But okay. here's and, the thing. And, okay. I, I would say that I, in my head, kept thinking, why are you here? Like, there, of course, there are things that you could learn from the people who are here. The, t- the professors here, the teachers here, are very bright people who have been around for a long time. And they know things that you don't know because they've been around longer. Absolutely. Right. Of course, right. that's true. But that's true of anybody. Like, you could learn something from everybody. It's whether or not you want to take the time... If, if, if the return on investment of time is worth it, you know? Right. Um, but, but I was to get to that point where you go, I don't need this. I've learned what I can here. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but, but that's, I mean, but I think that that's <sighs> how many people have done that. I've gotten to that point, but haven't had the wherewithal or the stones or whatever to take that step. Well, is, is that a leader versus follower kind of thing? Maybe, you know, what, you know, one of the things that I, that I found interesting in this, in this doc was, was him saying, look, I told my parents, who are both lifelong educators, I want to play guitar. And they went, okay, go ahead, do it. Yeah. So he goes to you know, Berkeley and, and decides, I don't need the instruction manual, and moves to Atlanta and just immerses himself in music. Yep. And that's it. Yep. Immerses himself 24-7, 365, music, 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 music. Is that what it takes? Well, is I it, think that's one of the things it takes, but I'm sure there were a hundred other guys who did the same exact thing who didn't become rich and famous. Sure, sure. There, there's a, a level of skill there, but does it have to start and end with the commitment to see it through? I think you have to make the decision to actually do it. You mm-hmm. have to jump in the pool, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, yeah, I guess you have to do that. I, you know, It's like I've always said, the, the guy who's... The guy who's going to change the business world is not going to be a guy who has an MBA from Yale, right? Right. Because you are, by definition, indoctrinated into the old system of doing things. So right. you're not going right. to be the person who's the disruptor. Now, or you, you've got the, the, the 16-year-old kid who's, who's working on uh, making a tricorder for the, 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 the right. X exactly. Prize. Yeah. And, and if anybody can do it, it's probably him. Yeah, or, or some kid who, you know— like I, th- there's a guy in in the recording world in the music world named George Massenberg who, uh, he he was a recording engineer for you know like uh, the Linda Ronstadt like I don't know much you know all that stuff that Aaron Neville yeah all yeah. that and 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 somewhere out just, there and, hold on can we just pause for a second <laughs> my terrible <laughs> can you just come on give, no, give me a little I mean, Aaron Neville come on but I know go. I love you. <laughs> Um, but he recorded all that. He recorded, you know, he's a recording engineer. 
He right. also invented what's called flying fader animation or uh, uh, flying fader automation. I'm like, you know, when you see the, the consoles where the faders are actually moving on their own because they're sure. like, right, computer controlled. He invented yeah. that. He invented the parametric equalizer. Okay. Like all this kind of stuff. He quit college sophomore year. He has mm-hmm. no degree in engineering, right? And he like literally changed the business in many ways. Um, so th- there are these guys out there, yeah, who are, who are who are looking at things differently because they're not getting sucked into right whatever it is, right? right? Uh, now, friend of the show, Gary Yost. Sure, Gary changed Yost. the three D industry. Yep, absolutely right. So there's these people who come in from from nowhere, relatively, you know, in much the same way that you could say that. Apple and Microsoft came in from nowhere and took the business from IBM and deck and whoever else, right? Like they just came in and changed the world and somebody else will come in and change the world from Apple and Microsoft, right? This is the way the world that the Google came in and took it from them. Is there a new model for creativity, for expression, for productizing or monetizing it without selling your soul? Well, I guess that's, that's the question is, or is the revolution in art is the revolution in art about, the things you're making and it's not about how you're selling them. And the selling them part is some business guy's problem, not yours or, or some sort of, some sort of tide that you have to swim with if you want to play that game or not. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a really great Zay Frank talk, which I'm going to have to find now. Um, There's, there's a Zay Frank, you know, the, you know, he does that, those little videos. He had Mm -hmm. a whole thing about creativity and it was talking about how, you know, uh, his whole thing was how the one guy who catches the waves who's wearing yellow shorts and the next day everyone's out there wearing yellow shorts because that's how you catch the wave. And right. it's like it had nothing to do, you know, he like right. talks yeah, like yeah. that. And he's just like, well, now you look like an idiot because that's not the way it works. You know what I mean? It had nothing to do with his yellow shorts. Um it had to do with all kinds of things. When the wave came in, how the moon was, what time it was, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, he happened to be turned around at that moment. Cause he was trying to clean his ear and saw the wave coming or whatever it was. Right. 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 Um, but yeah, just, just that, because you ride the right board doesn't mean you're Kelly Slater. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and, and yeah. so, so, so in some ways I wonder if the, the business of photography is about innovation or if that's just about following the tide and you can't change the tide. You know what I mean? Like the tide is going in a certain way and you know, if you want to stay with it and, and, and do everything everyone else is doing, that's a viable thing. Maybe you'd be better off doing something completely different, but that the idea of actually pushing the tide in any direction is, is a foolhardy thing and takes decades. You know what I mean? I don't know. And maybe the only innovation you can have is making different work. And maybe by making different work, somehow that sparks a change in the business. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like that ultimately it, it all comes from. It comes from the work. Yeah. Yeah. And every, everything a, and everything else is just a, is, 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 is a tchotchke on a shelf. There, there's a, there's the idea from, from, from Seth that, you know, just ship. Yep. Whatever it is, just ship. And I, I was looking and there's this Picasso discussion conversation with Brassai about never compromising and how he, he sort of tried to never sell out and, or, or, or compromise his principles on, and, and really make the work the center point to his life. Yep. And Picasso says, when you have something to say, to express, any submission becomes unbearable in the long run. One must have the courage of one's vocation and the courage to make a living from one's vocation. The, quote, second career is an illusion. 
I was often broke too, and I always resisted the temptation, any temptation, to live any other way than from my painting. Yeah. In the beginning, I did not sell at a high price, but I sold. My drawings, my canvases went. That's what counts. Right. And Picasso are arguably the greatest artist of the last 150 years. I would, I, you know, it's funny. Every time I go, I went to the, I went back to the MoMA last week because I have a MoMA membership. And uh, it always kills me when I see Picasso stuff and I think, my God, like you look at Pollock stuff. Yeah, he did the before the drippy stuff and then he did the drippy stuff. You know what I mean? Or you go right, see Van Gogh right. and all the Van Goghs look like Van Gogh. Picasso in different sections of his life looked like completely different artists. Yeah. Like he was all over the place. But, uh, he, but it, it, he was about the work and, and yep. moving the work. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I wasn't just, I wasn't putting it down. I was saying, yeah, like he's just like, you know what? Let's try something new. Right. And, and, and to, to the point I was trying to make earlier about things being so expensive, Picasso even says in this article, don't price them too high. What matters is that you sell a large number of them. Your drawings must go out into the world. Right. And this was at a time when the market was probably one-tenth or one-hundredth of what it is now for any kind of thing for high art. Right. Yeah. So, you know, back to this discussion, instead of $5,000, sell them for 500 Right. And move them, get them out into the world. Well, look, this, this, uh, when I read stuff like this, and I thought a lot of this was really good, this, uh, mm-hmm, Versailles mm-hmm. talking to, uh, what I, what I like about it is it, it makes me, f- makes me and, and probably a lot of other people, it's like, okay, I'm not selling my stuff for a hundred thousand dollars a pop or whatever it is, but that's okay. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to sometime, maybe, you know what I mean? Like just because I haven't gotten there yet doesn't mean I'm not going to get there. And that's okay, right? Like that. That like, as as Picasso says, I was starving too. And Picasso, you know, going to your your view of talent and stuff was magnificently talented. His, his, Absolutely, his early stuff. I mean, apparently, his father really hated him because his father was some some like was a painter, and his son quickly outclassed him in every way. Mm-hmm. Like he just he just had that thing, right? You know, but he also he used it, you know. Now, Picasso has no way of knowing whether the way that his life went was because of him, because of the work he did, because of the era in which he grew up. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there are there are so many variables in all of this that to to, to even define success or failure is really difficult. Well, yeah, especially when you look at somebody like, you know, Van Gogh, who was penniless his whole life. Yes, exactly. And right. is now looked back on with, with at least an equivalent reverence. Absolutely. Yeah, if not greater, right? So, so they're, right, the, the, the artists that we look at who are, and, it, you know, we're used talking about painters right now, but it goes for everybody. Sure. Um, look, I, look, I mean, if, if Saul Leiter hadn't been noticed in the late 90s, he would have been a forgotten guy, you know? Yeah, he may have died and nothing would have ever happened with him, and the world would have never known him. Now, was it because his pictures weren't any good in 1992? No, they were exactly the same as they were when we saw them. They're all from the 50s, but somehow somebody saw them differently. It doesn't mean that they were bad then. They weren't. Were they any better once they got discovered? Well, the the, the market would say that they were, because right. the price of his prints went from 200 to 20,000 or whatever. Right. 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 So who makes that decision? Is, is that just a like, that's what I'm talking about. The whole, the whole, uh, tide sort of thing, you know? Right. Um, 
all all Saul could do was make pretty pictures, you know, to make see the world the way he saw it and take the pictures and hopefully people will like them. Right. You know, now that's that's arguing in the same way that I think Picasso was making art. Picasso wasn't trying to make money. Is there a difference between to, to further tease our, our next episode? If that's where we go with it all. Yeah. Is 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 somebody who makes art to make money different than somebody who makes art to make art? You know what I mean? I will. I will. I can only speak from my own experience. Yeah. And in 2008, okay. seven, eight, nine, early 2009, yeah. before my mom died, yep. I was painting all the time. I picked up a paintbrush again in 2000. I think it was 2007. Okay. Might have been 2008. Anyway, I picked up a paintbrush again after not having painted anything since college. Not with the purpose of selling it, but just to see if I had something to say, to try some new techniques, to, to try and create this sort of hybrid of analog and digital, you know, fusing, fusing different media, um, and then trying to find some, some voice that seemed to fit that medium. And I think I did. But yeah. I wasn't looking at it the, in terms of selling. I was looking at it in terms of making. Right. Lately, I have looked at it and wanted to start doing things again, but it's been from the standpoint of selling and I'm coming up with nothing. Yeah. Okay. I, okay. Yes. All right. Let's go with this because I have the same thing. The things that I have done started in order to turn them into business have never been as successful as the stuff I did for me that was then later seen or discovered yeah. in some way. Yeah. I, I, I was playing with processes and techniques to see if I could make something work, to see if I could come up with something that was, something that was interesting and different and compelling. And, and, but, but I, for the last probably six, eight months, I've been looking at it from the different standpoint of what can I do that I can sell? What can I do that I can get out there? Da, da, and, it's a zero. It's a goose egg. Now, yeah. would it work for other people? Sure. But it's not working for me. So what I have been trying to do. What's different between you and some other guy? I don't know. I can't speak to that. All I can speak to is it's not working for me. Yep. So I need to let go of that. I need to say, look, Jeffrey. <laughs> Are you going to make video where you're like up above, like shot from below? Like, yeah. Look, Jeffrey. Yep. Look, Jeffrey. Uh, I need to let go of thinking about it as product mm -hmm. and think about it the way I did five years ago of what can I do that speaks to me? It's, it's, it's the idea of, of, you know, the director making the movie that, that he or she wants to make Yep. the yeah. writer writing the book that he or she wants to read that inevitably turns out better though, maybe not to as wide appeal, but it's better. And probably, I mean, putting aside the money for just a second, mm -hmm. arguably more satisfying. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I just, yeah, I've sort of come to the same conclusion lately. And I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm starting a new thing on Saturday. I have a shoot and I'm starting a new series of stuff. And, and it's, 
I'm looking at it not from the point of view of what can I shoot that'll get me noticed or what can I shoot? I'm just like, what do I want to shoot? Right. Because well, and, and ultimately, it, why else am I doing this? Why else are you doing it? You, you, you find what, what makes your heart sing. Yeah. If, if, and hope and you're if not you tone deaf. <laughs> yeah. And, if, and if, you, if you can't do it full-time, you do it part-time. I, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not saying that, that you know, everyone has the luxury of pursuing their hopes and dreams full-time. You don't. But you've got spare time. Yeah. You've, you've got nights and weekends or you've well, got mornings and afternoons, whatever, you know, there's also, there's also, I mean, there's overall sort of life choices, right? You know, like I don't have children. I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't have a lot of, I don't have a lot of other obligations that keep me from doing what I want to do in some way right now. Right. Right. I, it could be that I have different goals and those goals involve, you know, having kids and a big house or whatever the goals are. Right. Right. In which case then, yeah, you've got to cut away from something else. You know, you, the pie is only so big, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. and you have to make those decisions in, in, in life. And, you know, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's tough. I mean, look, I, I've been dragging my feet on painting. I've been dragging my feet on, starting uh, a, a, a new conversation-based project. And is that, and you think that that's because what you've been trying to do is productize it from the get-go and therefore yes. it's lost the luster. Yes. The, the, the magic just wasn't in there. Yeah. I, I'm trying to build in monetization from the beginning instead of going, well, what would I really love to do? Yeah. Now, just in the last week or so, I've booked what will, who will be the first guest of this new project. Mm-hmm. So it's on the books. It's in iCal. It's, it's, it's now real because I, I, I started thinking about it from the standpoint of what would I want to listen to? What would I want to listen to? Who would I want to hear from? Right. Instead of what's going to be successful, well, what's yeah. going to sell, what's going to... Well, you want to hear doesn't necessarily mean that there are 5 million people who also want to hear it, but it no. also... But, but, that's, but if I have to sit down with you for an hour or two, yeah. I want to enjoy it. I want to... And it's also going to, ma- it, it's going to maximize the potential of that in yeah. so much as the thing that you are doing is going to be done at the best of your ability. Yes. Versus something that maybe has more exposure... But but is it, it doesn't have the same fire is not gonna is not gonna reach as far right right yeah so I'm kind of I'm kind of going backwards to go forwards yeah you know and I and I feel I feel much better about it okay I feel like um, this is where I should be good. Wait, yeah. you mean in, in where you live or, or do you just mean mentally? No, mentally. Okay. No, where I, no, where I live is rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No, that's, that's still in the works. But, uh, you know, th- th- this idea of, of doing things that, that, that feed other things in my life. Yeah. The writing feeds the painting. The painting feeds the conversations. The conversations feeds the writing. The writing feeds the painting. You know what I mean? It's, it's, the hip bone it's is connected all, to the leg bone. That's right. Yeah. It's all connected. Yep. And, and my biggest problem has been 
you know, I'm standing on the dock and trying to decide, do I, do I, do I jump off the front of the dock? Do I jump to the left or to the right? Well, it doesn't matter because you're always going to end up in the same water. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter. So why are you overthinking it even now? Well, hopefully now I'm not overthinking it as much. Oh, okay. I got you. But that's been, that's been the paralysis. It's sort of the analysis paralysis. You know, you, yeah. you go, well, if I do this, then there's this. If I do this, then there, there's this. And I've talked about this several times where, where somewhere along the way over the course of the last 20 years, I became a, a looker, not a leaper. And I'm trying to get back to that. Now, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not, you know, trying to, to sort of live my life with reckless abandon, but I'm also not trying to paralyze myself by... What's the problem with reckless oh, abandon? I don't think there's a problem for it if you're wired that way, but... I'm, I mean, I mean, not like jumping out of airplanes without a chute. I'm just talking about, you know what I mean? Okay, well, well there, there are degrees, right? There are degrees sure. of recklessness. Yep. Um, the, you know, there, there was a... Speaking of jumping out of airplanes, um, there's a story, there's a documentary about uh, the making of Point Break. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Point Break. <laughs> uh, and I'm talking the Swayze Point Break, not the goofy remake that they're... I'm sorry, is there any other? Yeah, no, there's okay, not. Good. So, so Swayze wanted the scenes of, for those of you who haven't seen the movie pause the show you. right now <laughs> right. go get thee to amazon prime come on um, johnny All yeah right, good uh there there there's a scene where they they skydive they jump out of out of a plane and yep. and the the scene they're in the plane and swayze's at the door and he says his line and falls backwards out of the plane <laughs> and the camera follows him out the fuselage of the plane into the air. It's a great shot. It's a fantastic shot. Yeah. Okay. And, <laughs> and he actually jumped out of a plane where Keanu never that, did. That's the thing, right? Is Swayze wanted it to be real. He wanted to immerse himself in that moment because in that moment was his truth. So he started skydiving to the point where whenever they weren't shooting, he was up throwing himself out of an airplane. <laughs> which, which I still think which I personally still think is crazy. I, yeah, I know it's, I, I know it's perfectly safe. For, you know what I mean? Like, but for some reason there's a mental thing that goes, what are you out of your mind? Well, and, and the insurance company sided with you. The insurance company came and said, no, you know, you, you can't do this Yeah. You, because if you, you know, that's it. You're our movie. Yeah. Even right? if you break your hip, right. Cause something goes wrong. You're, you're out. So that's a problem. But to him, this was an integral part of his art. And not doing Okay, how it. beautiful is it, though, that, that, that his art was point break? Go ahead. Yeah. Moving on. Okay. <laughs> to him, not doing that yeah. himself, not being in that moment was a compromise. Yep. And that, you know, in the words of the dude, that will not stand. Right. You know, this has to be real. It has to be true. And, and that's something that seemed to, at least later, you know, late in his life, seemed to pervade kind of how he approached everything. And you can argue that his stuff was cheese. You can argue that it wasn't very good. But I think he would argue that it was always true. Sure. Yeah. That it always came from a space of, of honoring the creative process that was his art. I always had a lot of respect for him 
regardless of yeah. what anybody else said, except for, except for Dirty Dancing, except for the scene where he kicks the the thing out of the ground in order to smash the window in the car. Yeah. Well. Okay. That's pretty pimp. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Did, did you ever you watch Squidbillies? No. <laughs> There's an episode of Squidbillies, which if you haven't seen, is a bunch of squids that are hillbillies, right? That's the that's the premise. Right. And and there's this guy who comes into town who claims to be Patrick Swayze. And okay. they <laughs> and they don't believe him. They're like, You're not Patrick Swayze. He goes, Remember that time when I went and bought extra tires and put them in my trunk because I knew the guys at the double deuce were gonna slash my tires? And the guy goes, Yeah, he goes, That was me. And they go, You are Patrick Swayze. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> Because who doesn't like a roadhouse? Oh God, it was so genius! Yeah, (laughs) at the double deuce. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Look, I I think that you're right, and you know, uh, in in the past couple weeks, I've been working on a number of new things that are sort of getting me jazzed again. It's like you know, here's the big question: like, if you're sitting there and you're and you're thinking, oh, I should do this, or I should, what exactly are you waiting for? Right. What is anybody waiting for? And well, I know, I know look, the, I know this is a big, that's a huge like mental discussion and maybe it's an economic thing for some reason or a time thing. But like for a lot of people, it's really just this, it's a, it's a Boolean switch in their head. Right. You know, and you have to love it. Yeah. If you don't love it, then how can you rationally expect anyone else to? Yeah. And I think that's the problem that I have with, I mean, there are people and we've talked about on the show before for ourselves who have said, Oh, you should do this, that, and the other thing. Cause that's what the market says, or that's what, whatever. And I'm like, I don't understand that. Like it doesn't, that doesn't add up in my head. You know, like I, it, for me, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't work right. somehow. Um, right. it's like, it's like two plus two equals 17. And you're like, what? Like, yeah. I don't, how does that add up for you? You know, that, 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 that you're doing stuff to me. Eh, this is going to get me in trouble. To Never me, stopped in, you before. To me, in some way, <laughs> I know th- that that maybe it's because I see the the whole thing that we're talking about here. You know, the taking of pictures, the making of stuff, the the having nothing and then having something. I'm not a religious person, but I see that as somehow sacred. That 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 it, that it's that it's sure de- definitively human. You know, should it should it not be approached with at least some degree of reverence? Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. and okay. and if somebody comes in and is saying, "Oh, I'm going to make this stuff because there's a hole in the market and I need, I'm going to make a business out of this." I guess that that's perfectly fine, but to me it's somehow it's 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 a little bit of an abomination. It's kind of like, "Well, you're ruining something that's really beautiful." Or or it's pure and you're and you're and you're raping it somehow. So, mm. uh, I know that's hard language and whatever it is, and I don't know exactly what I mean, but maybe it's sort of like you're, you're taking something that I find really special and making it really ordinary. I think that's probably a better way to put it. You understand what I'm trying to say, though? Sure, sure. And and sure. and somehow that it's kind of like, oh, don't ruin it, you right. know? Like it, it's sort of like um, my sister in college, you know, at the at the dorms in college because we were at the same school and she was a senior and I was a freshman, and they had um, um, chocolate milk sometimes, you know, like the the old the milk things in the, the colleges where you lift the big handle and the milk comes out of the little tube. Yeah, yeah, comes yeah, out yeah, yeah. It's got the big weight on it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 
every once in a while they'd put chocolate milk in the machine. You sure. know what I mean? And my sister used to get chocolate milk and eat it with a spoon. Okay, sure. Because for her, it was a treat. You know what I mean? Like, so she wasn't going to like guzzle four glasses of chocolate milk. It was like, oh, there's chocolate milk. You're going to savor it. And I'm going to savor the chocolate milk. Sure, sure. And in some ways, it's a similar kind of thing. You know what I mean? I eat ice cream with a fork for the same reason. Really? Because it's harder to eat. Well, no, you just, you get less metal taste and you get more ice cream taste. (laughs) (laughs) Have you guys eaten all the ice cream you made for chill? Oh God, long time. We actually gave most of it away. I was going to say, because that's a lot of ice cream. Yeah, gave most of it away. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just I don't, there's there's a lot. I, I like the idea of of the purity impurity or making it ordinary more so than than the the rape metaphor. I don't think that works. Yeah, I, I just I was trying to find the words. Yeah, but there's making something it, there's something like sullied about it. You know what I mean? Like sure, it's kind of like sure. ah, come on. Not everything has to be productized from the get-go yes not everything has to be productized period yeah like that's the thing i guess i have in this world is like there is so much wealth there is so much abundance especially like in the first world sure like just so much of everything it's like does everything have to be a capitalistic proposition you know can't some stuff just be because we're people and we want to do beautiful things in our lifetimes right you know and I know that there are lots of people who are going to argue with me on that one, and I'm sure we'll get some emails. But like, it just it just seems like if if all life is about is just the accumulation of stuff, and and even even art gets wrapped up in that in some way. I don't know. It just it makes me sad. I guess it's it it eats away at my idealism, mm-hmm. and my idealism is what sort of fuels me to enjoy life and to make stuff in the first place. So it's sort of like you're raining on my parade, you know, but Hey, to each his own, I guess. So for some people that is their art, I guess. I don't know. Sure. Um, but I, I think, I think that there is room for, I know that there is room for it because I've experienced it. I know that there is room for making something for the sake of just making something. Yes. You know, of course I, I have several pieces that have never seen the light of day and they probably never will because they're not for you. They're for me. Yes. Yeah, sure. Well, that's kind of what I was talking about last week where I yeah. take pictures for me and not for everybody. Sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. like the stuff mm-hmm. on my phone uh, is like, I don't need to share it with anybody. That's not what it's for. You know, it was for something else. Um, there's a really good uh, article here in the New York times that was on, I think on Sunday. And it was weird because it was in the movies section. Oh, is this the, the paradox thing? Did you read that? Yeah, I did. It's, it was interesting, right? Uh, or at least it, it was very much in keeping with the kind of conversations that we have. Um, yeah, I just, I wish that they had a different example because I, I wouldn't walk across the street for a Warhol. Uh, yeah, okay. That's, that's fair. Yeah. But, but basically the argument, it's called the paradox of art as work. And it talks a little bit about how, you know, society doesn't see art making art as work in a lot of ways. And unless it's heavily productized as, you know, Spider-Man two or what have you. Right. Um, And that technology has allowed in much the way, same way we talk, technology has allowed everybody and their brother to go spend $600 and you have an HD video camera inside of your SLR or your phone for God's sake. Um, That, 
that that they're that the middle is getting lost in much the same way as in the rest of society where it's either people are making a, a you know poop ton of money or they're making minimum wage right but that the middle class is getting squeezed out right um right and it's that's yeah you're right even in the arts yeah that it's happening everywhere and including yeah. the art you're 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 making $400 a week as a as a regional theater yeah. actor or you're making twenty million doing movies, but there aren't a lot of people making hundred fifty thousand yeah, dollars. There a aren't year. that many character actors making, you know, who do a bunch of TV shows every once in a while. Uh, there's a there's a quote in here. Uh, novelist and critic Elizabeth Hardwick wrote, "Making living, making a living is nothing. The great difficulty is making a point, making a difference with words." And she's an art, an, an, a writer, you know, so that makes sense. Um, but do you? Yeah, I agree with that. I, the, the the next sentence. Continue on with that next sentence. Uh, wait, 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 I moved down. She might as she, well. Uh, she might as well uh, have said with images, sounds, or movement of bodies. Words just happen to be her chosen medium. Right. Uh, and and it's 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 interesting. There's another quote down here. Where is it? Here. Uh, every and nearly every living artist who makes a living perhaps outside of advertising agencies does so in this nexus of peddling and patronage, um, which is, you know, uh, a recently published anthology MFA versus NYC proposes in its title, a dichotomy between the two dominant models of literary criticism, the subsidized route of graduate school and teaching in which writers support themselves through paid activities other than writing and the rough and tumble marketplace of New York city where writers more or less do the same thing, but with different attitude. New York, as the headquarters of the publishing industry, the domestic arts market, and segments of television and movie business, shines with the with the credentializing luster of capitalism. Of course, making it here is costly enough to require other forms of paying work or parental subsidy. The Academy offers a degree of security along with time and space to work, but can also be, in the age of adjunct, adjunct instructor, a place of alienation and exploitation. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I thought it was a really interesting and, and fairly well-written yeah, there's a there's a thing in here that reads the production of arts and cultural goods and services contributed to 504.4 billion to the US economy or 3.25% of GDP. Right. It may be relevant to note that the single largest category of artistic endeavor was advertising. Well, all the people that I know who make a lot of money in art are making it for advertising. Okay, but this kind of gets us into uh, you know next week is yeah. is that art is that art? Yeah. I don't know. If you make something for advertising and then sell it later, you know, I don't know. You know, is, was the, was the original version of the Beatles song art or is it now only art because it was used in a Nike ad? I think the other way around makes more sense, right? Right, right. But the way they're framing this is they're lumping that, they're lumping it all together. Well, because, you know, it's people making stuff, right? So therefore, it's in the same thing, you know. Mm-hmm. But again, mm-hmm. why does the worth of any of this have to come down to percentage of GDP? You know what I mean? Well, I be- because somebody needs it to be quantifiable. Right. It, and I think, I mean, that's, that is the, the huge problem. There's actually, you know, I don't, sometimes the Planet Money podcast drives me crazy because it's so... I mean, I understand it's called planet money, but at the same time, it's like, God, not everything comes down to money. 
You know what I mean? And they sometimes they 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 condense things down to all about exactly like this, like percentage of GDP, and that means it's worth X. You know, right? But but, there, but it is. There, I, I, there's a great quote. It was on a, a show called Brotherhood. He uh, said, you know, "Even when it's not about money, it's about money." Yes, but does should it be or does it have to be? I don't. I mean, those are those are. I don't know that I could answer that. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they were, what was the article? Oh, it was about, oh, they were talking about the whole, um, you know, uh, 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 per capita happiness or, you know what I mean? That one country that's actually using that. It wasn't Brunei. It was one of those countries like near Indonesia that has a, uh, Bhutan maybe, uh, which has a, has a, uh, um, uh, 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 what's called gross domestic happiness (laughs) indicator. And that is what the government is going to make decisions based upon. Hmm. Fascinating, you know? Uh, And, and uh, I don't know. I I keep going, I keep going back and forth. I was sitting on, I was sitting on at my mother's house this weekend and they have like a little dock on this little cove and and it's certainly, you know, not 1% kind of stuff, but it's a very nice place. Like there's nothing that I would complain about, you know? It's picturesque. Yeah, very picturesque. You know, and it, like I look and I'm just like, my God, I'm so lucky to even be sitting on this thing, let alone, you know. And did you, did you take any pictures? No, I didn't bring a camera. Ugh. Um, but, but I was, you know, it's it, well in the daytime, it's not, it's like too much light on the water. It's terrible. You have to take it during the morning. And I've taken those pictures before. Um, but I was sitting there and I was just thinking, you know, this is, it, this is such a beautiful idyllic thing. And like, I don't know, somehow uh, what does this have to do with business? It's just, it, there's something about it that I have, I have to work on and we'll, we'll talk about it. Well, you, you, you have a socialist an, streak. No, you have an unnaturally strong aversion to anything that falls under the umbrella of business. Um, you, yeah, you, but you, largely you, you based react upon experience. very negatively. Yeah, well, whatever it is, yeah. I, don't, I don't care what the reason is. I'm just saying the 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 end result of of where you are right now yeah. is business is a dirty word to you. Marketing, dirty word. Yeah, I mean, at least for me, I don't like doing it. I know I have other people doing it for me, so I don't have to worry about it. But but yeah, it's it's a dirty word in the sense that I want to be very careful that that doesn't become my primary driver. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, it quickly does. Sure. And, and it's, it's like, I'm so scared of crossing that line that I don't want to go anywhere near it. Right. You know? Right. Um, maybe that's a, that's some sort of weakness on, in my own psyche or, or something I have to work through, or I don't know, maybe I'm on the right track or maybe it's just smart that I let somebody else do. It. I don't know. You should have a beer and think about it. <laughs> yeah. That's not going to happen either. See what I did there? Yeah, that was good. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Yeah. All right, so what, what do you got with the Sherman Brothers? We got a little heavy. We got a little we heavy. Did. We did. Uh, well, I, what I was, was going to say about the Sherman Brothers, so, uh, and this, this can work on to next week, too. Yep. So the Sherman Brothers are, uh, they wrote all the Mary Poppins stuff. They wrote It's a Small World. They wrote the Bedknobs and Broomsticks and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And they wrote Peaches and Cream. She's 16. You know, all that, all those songs. Sure. They've been around forever and they were, they wrote a lot of stuff at Disney and whatnot. And it was two brothers, one of whom was older, three or four years older, but had gone to world war two had been in the first company that went into, I think Dachau. So like he had seen all this stuff had been shot, all this kind of stuff. 
comes back, goes to college with his younger brother. They're both freshmen because they both came back at the same time. And, uh, you know, they lived very different lives because of this early experience, but they wrote music together. All, you know, Chim Chimney and, you know, Spoonful of Sugar and all those songs. And later in their lives, the, the, the older brother would like run off and just travel up north into California and come back like two weeks later. And, and the younger one was like, what are you doing? Like, we should be sitting here writing music because like, what else, what else is there but writing music? Like, Mm -hmm. why would Mm -hmm. you not want to be doing this? This is awesome. You know? And the older brother was sort of, sort of said, you know, I'll write a song if somebody needs a song for a movie, but I'm not going to write songs to write songs. Whereas the other brother just wanted to write songs to write songs. Yeah. You know what I mean? If there are movies, all the better. You know what I mean? But it's like it's within a single family. It was two very different things. Maybe the two sides of the argument that we're going to talk about next week. But I just want to put it out there that there's a documentary about the brothers, um, which I will look up. It's I just just put it. I just put it in the show uh, notes. The boys. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a IMDB Uh, listing right below the thing. And it's, it's, it's pretty interesting and, and, and pretty good. If you're into that sort of thing, I watched it this weekend on the train. Um, but we'll talk about it next week, uh, a little bit more, the difference between those guys, but it's amazing that even within a single family, how differently people can see things, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think some of it just comes down to like how you see the world, you know, how you've grown up to see the world or something. I don't know. Um, anyway, we'll talk about that later. Hey, uh, you like these anamorphic lenses on digital SLRs? Uh, it, it's interesting, but I, I wanted to ask you, did you see the, the equity firm that, uh, that bought Hasselblad, there are rumors that they may want to dump it? Uh, I have not seen that, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if it's not making money. I don't know if it's making money, you know? It's a weird, it's a weird thing, isn't it? Oh yeah, v- Vinitz Capital pulling the plug on Hasselblad. Photo rumors. Let's see. Well, look, I mean, these are pretty small. They don't sell that many of these things, right? You know, I just I wonder if it would would it go away? Would it, would the tech be acquired by someone else? Uh, probably. I mean, he still has the name. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like if you found the right person to buy. I'm so, so, you know, they're going to sell it. They're not going to throw it away. Right. You know? Um, but it, do, does it say something that the camera company is owned by a company that's about making money and they're making business decisions, not necessarily on the, on anything other than the bottom line. Right. If it's owned by some private equity firm, that's entirely what it's about. You know, where some of these companies, they start out and it's not all about, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and they're they're going to make us another one of those stupid solar cameras based upon the same Sony. Yeah, you know it's but the same thing as those Leica. The price. Well, the Leica slash uh, Panasonic ones, right? You know, same exact cam- same exact Panasonic camera with a Leica name on it. And it's twice as much, three times as much. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. For years, people did that, and they'd buy the Leica just because it says Leica on it. It's weird. Strange decisions people make in this world. I guess if you've got the money, more power to you. Uh, let, let's let's table the anamorphic thing. What okay. this this size fits your work? That wasn't that a question from last week? Yeah, somebody asked, you know, what size you choose to print stuff, and and then we, you and I got talking about does size matter? Does size relate to value? What's you know, how do you choose what size something should be at in the real world? 
Right. And I guess that's a decision that is in some ways going away as people print less and more stuff is digital. It just depends on what screen I'm looking at it on. Right. Which is kind of weird. But, but even, really even when it. you're buying prints, yep. you know, at, at, at size X, it was 4,200, but one size up, it wasn't, it, the pricing wasn't commensurate with, with the size of the print or it didn't, it didn't scale appropriately. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like you, 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 you would the think same thing that, with men, Jeffrey. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Uh, so, no, absolutely. so let's say you go eight by 10 to, to, to 11 by 14. Sure. It's instead three times of, the price. Yeah. Instead of increasing 40%, it increases 600%. Sure. Yeah. And I, I, I don't, I don't quite understand the, the scale or, or how they're arriving at, at these, these numbers because they're not consistent. No. You know, and I, I did sort of little informal uh, experiment at Paris Photo asking about different sizes and they were all over the map. Even, even though the, the base price for an 11 by 14, let's say, was, was X and I could find you know, a half dozen that were the same price at, at that base. If you go up one size, it was all over the place. I got you. So there are, there are like some of the smaller sizes have more of a general thing, but as you go up, it just, it's a free for all. Yeah. The wild yeah. west. It didn't, it didn't seem to have any sort of consistency well, from, from photographer to photographer. And I don't down know, to what, that, what you can get for it, I guess. Right. But I think is that look, coming I, from the gallerist. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, mm-hmm. that's their mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm sure the artist may be able to have approval of it at a certain level, but like, you know, uh, somebody asked for usage of one of my pictures yesterday and my agent sent me an email, like giving some prices of like what she was going to quote them. And they were more than I've ever gotten for similar usage. And I was like, Hey, if you think you can get that more power to you, but you know, right. so like, sure, try it. You know, um, I, you know, it, to me, the bigger question is, is trying to decide what size is right? You know, we have these cameras that you can print up to 30 by 40 if you really want to. But at what size does the picture look right? Like um, at the uh, at MoMA, they had those, the, the what's it called? The, um, what was up there? Uh, the, not the Americans. Yeah, the Americans. Robert Frank? No, not the Robert Frank. The, 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 what's it called? What's the earlier one? Um, oh, holy hell. We talked about it a few months ago. Um earlier stuff with the God, I'm going to, it's going to drive me crazy. People are trying to yell at me probably right now. Uh, was it, it wasn't Robert Frank. It was somebody else or was it earlier work by Robert Frank? I don't think it was the Robert Frank. Anyway, the point is that they were fairly small prints, like five by seven. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like not big at all. And that <clears throat> somehow to, it's, Oh, it's you know a, what? I bet you're talking about the Walker Evans. Yeah, stuff. the Walker Evans. That's what I was yeah. thinking. Of. Okay, right. Okay, okay. The, the small prints, and these were yeah. the original prints that were shown there 50 years ago, or whatever the heck it was, 75 years ago, and they're small, like small to the where to the point where like I would never sell any of my stuff that small because I'd feel like really somebody wants to buy a five by seven. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting to me that I mean, as we go bigger, we're going bigger, bigger. And, you know, it kind of, um, it's like, I listened to that Jeff wall stuff, which we'll get to in a second. Um, and it was, 
you know, bigger sometimes works. Bigger works for the crudes and stuff. Bigger works for, you know, these large scale guys right. with light boxes. The, Bert- the Bertinsky stuff works great. Right. As as a four and five and six foot print. Right. But there's a lot of things that don't, if you get them that big, they don't look as good. You right. know, there's, there's, I saw, I saw a show of, of, um, Albert Watson stuff. And some of them were eight by tens or 11 by 14s. And I was like, man, if that was bigger, it wouldn't work. Right. You know, yeah. I've tried. I, to- I don't want to look at a four foot, you know, Eggleston tricycle. Right. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I printed some of those motion pictures. I put six, 16 by 20. I also printed them whatever size bigger is than that. And I didn't like it at all. Like I threw it out. I was like, no, 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 no. Too big. You know, like it, you, you lose somehow. It's like the field of view versus perspective or size. Like there's, you want it either so big that you can dive into it if it's the right picture, but not, right. but you also want it small with certain pictures that it's conceivable that the person can sort of wrap it all in their mind. You know, that they can well, wrap their well, head there again, it. are, are, are gallerists and photographers releasing work large because they can charge more for it? I think that not necessarily because it fits the size of the work. I think that there's an argument for that. They're doing it because they really want to see their work that way. And I'm sure that there are instances where people do things too big because that's what the market wants, mm-hmm. you know, but, but I mean, that's always the case, right? Like there's always sort of like, eh, I don't know if that's, and somebody says, no, 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 we should do it. And yeah, okay, let's give it a shot. You know, I, there were some, and, and this is something I don't understand about additioning. Um, there were quite a few people there that were showing editions of three or five. Um, yeah. Okay. So you're saying that's too small. I think it is. I mean, Mm -hmm. that seems to be a strategic decision just to sort of artificially keep the price up, not to get it out to people. Yeah. Right. Well, you know what? There, a gallery is not for the maximization of people seeing it is for the maximization of money selling it. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just, you know, I I just, that seems wrong to you. I I would rather 20 people have a a piece of my work than three people. Okay. Is that the same? Does that go the same for people seeing it for you? What do you mean? Like, you know, if, 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 if you hang it at a local coffee shop, maybe 150 people are going to see it. If it gets picked up to get used in a commercial, maybe 150,000 people are going to see it. Is the commercial one better because more people are seeing it? I think it depends on how you approach your art. I, I would love more people to see and, and, and enjoy the things that I do. Yeah. You know, now I will probably, I mean, the, the number of people who have seen my work probably peaked, you know, at Universal. Yeah. I, I don't think I'll ever have as many eyes per day on my work as, as I did then. Um, but it was different work. That was product. That wasn't, right. I mean, yeah, it had my name on it and I, and I enjoyed doing it and I put, you know, everything I had into it. But you wouldn't but consider it, that art. It wasn't personal. Yeah. Okay. Ah, uh, maybe that's the definition. Maybe. I'll have to put that in the notes here. Uh, yeah, I don't what know. Are we, what, are, what are we at on, on, uh, uh, we have, I don't know, 20 minutes. Okay. But we have some, we have a few last things. Yeah, get get to this uh, this Jeff this, Wall thing. Th- yeah, the Jeff Wall thing, and and you 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 played with a new a new piece of kit. I did, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I'll, I'll do the thing quick because the Jeff Wall thing sort of related to the 
photographer of the week. Um, last week I, I, I got to play with the new Sigma 50 millimeter 1.4, right? Which is their new art lens line or whatever it is. Now I've always sort of been wishy. Like I never bought third party lenses. I was never a big thing. A, because, um, either I felt like they weren't as good as the Canon ones that were also available. And I had the money for the Canon ones. So buy the Canon ones, uh, Part of me likes having one big kit because they the Canon stuff depreciates less, and if something breaks, I have one place to send it to. It's not like twelve different companies I have to send stuff to. Um, so there are reasons for it. Um, and if or if there were better lenses, like those Zeiss lenses for Canon, were pretty nice, but they're all manual focus, and I just I can't do that for the stuff that I need a camera for. Um, so. I never really got into third party lenses, but my friend Claude who works at Adorama had got his hands on this Sigma. So we went out and, and he shot some video of me shooting with it and, and trying it out compared to the Canon one, four and the Canon one, two. And it was really nice. Yeah. Like really nice, uh, based upon a different lens structure. So it's longer, like it's a different design. Um, right. Yeah, it's it's it looks it's twice as long as either of my any of my fifties. Yeah, it looks it looks almost like you know like a hundred millimeter macro or something. Yeah, exactly. Like that kind uh, of size. Very sharp, very very sharp. Even wide open if you got the focus right. This one I was playing with with back focus, just a scooch, which when you're wide open on a lens actually matters, you know. Um, so, but but overall the images were really really great. Now this lens is I think almost a thousand dollars, nine hundred something dollars. Yeah, yeah. So this is not a cheap piece of kit um and you know if you if you need the canon which i think is the one two is what like a 1500 bucks or 1400 bucks or something um you know the the one if you need the one two then you got to go with the canon but like if you just need a one four that's a better build than the canon one uh, you could you could definitely consider this the 150 you bought like it's you know it's it was really really good um am i going to sell mine to get it no but I'm fine with my, the thing with 50 millimeter lenses is that even cheap ones are usually really good. Yeah. You know, you know, if I have to stop down my one, two to one, four and it's tack sharp too, it's like, well then, you know, um, but yeah, it was really nice. I was very surprised because in general, in the past Sigma lenses, eh, you know, the build quality and everything, this build quality was really good. In fact, it felt much closer to a Zeiss lens than it did even a Canon lens. Like it had that sort of really metal mechanical feel. Mm-hmm. Um, to it. So it was kind of fun. Uh, so if anybody's looking for a 50, uh, you should definitely go check it out. It's pretty good. We'll put a link in the show notes. Okay. What are we talking about this Jeff wall thing when this was, this link was in last week? Well, this link was in last week, but I hadn't listened to it last week. And now I've listened to two hours of Jeff wall talking about Jeff wall. Cause we were trying to see if whether or okay, not let, let's, let's not get too sidetracked on this. Cause people can listen to it from last week. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about the stuff we talked about last week. I'm talking about how, now listening to him talk about his work, whether or not I appreciate his work more. Ah, okay. It, it, that was the thing. Okay. Gotcha. So I listened to two hours of Jeff wall interviews and other people, including gallerists and stuff, talk about his work. And here's the, here's what I've come out. The people who are talking when Jeff wall was talking, I was like, okay, I still am not blown away by your work, but I understand why you made it. And I am in tune with what you're saying. The minute anybody else was talking about Jeff Wall's work, it was all of that art school pretense stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, see, it's not the artist doing that. Well, in this case. In this case, it's the other people doing it. 
are 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 basically sullying what he's doing, which is just is him just he's like ah he's like I have no idea what I'm going to do before I do it. He's like I see stuff and I go oh that might be good something good and I go work on it and then it's something you know like he's very much in line with the kind of the way you and I talk. But then they talk to all the gallerists and it's all this fluffy stuff about oh museums this and it was so important on this reason for this art and whatever. And Wall doesn't say a word of that stuff in any mm. of his interviews. And I thought that that was really interesting and telling, you know. Um, so if, if, if you haven't gone to listen to it, I would suggest spending a couple hours listening to it, if only for that. I thought the first episode, there's two one-hour episodes. The first episode's better than the second, for what it's worth. And there were a few pieces that they talked about in there that we didn't really look at last week. One of all these, like... Um, uh, military guys, these soldiers like on this hill and they're all kind of like laughing, even though their guts are hanging out and stuff, uh, which was pretty deep, like pretty mm. heavy picture. Um, so anyway, go check it out. Wait, wasn't that a, uh, it was a recreation, uh, a recreation of what? The, the, the of a one real you're talking thing about? Or, yeah, of, it's called dead troops. Is that what it's called? Uh, yeah. Okay. could be. Yeah, I it's like he's so him talking about that stuff. Yeah, let's yeah, see. that was a recreation. It wasn't actual. Oh no, no, no! It's not actual troops. No, he doesn't okay. shoot that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, all of his things are recreations. Um, but there's another shot where where he had like um these two young kids uh boxing in a nice living room, and and there's like a little statue on the in the, in the back of like some Greek you know guy whatever it is, and they start art school pontificating of how like the small Greek statue in the back harkens back and shows how this art is related to the Etruscan. But I'm like, no, it's just something that's on the wall. Yeah, in the background. It, happened to, like, it happened to be there. <laughs> yeah. Like this is, you know what I mean? Like it's that stuff that drives me crazy. Right. All you right. know, it's just, it's just what it is. Anyway, go listen to it if you're interested, cause it was actually pretty good. Uh, what's the assignment for this week? All right. Hey, before we get to that reflections, uh, really fantastic. Great stuff. So well, well done. There's some people are still putting in. Uh, I saw a really good one in there the other day. Let me see if I can pull it up. Go ahead. Sorry. In a uh, good one in uh, in the group. In the reflections. Yeah. Okay. Um, this has been a lot of fun seeing all of this stuff kind of uh, uh, take place. Still a lot of new people posting. So thank you guys and girls. Yeah. Um, some really, really, really good work. Uh, so this week, this week. Um, we're talking about magic hour, Ooh. magic hour. So now magic hour, traditionally when the sun goes down, but you could also do that when the sun comes up. Yep. I tend to watch a lot of sunrises cause I get up early a lot of times and there I have, I have large windows and doors facing the East so I get this great morning light that just kind of floods my apartment. And uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to watch the color change, sure. to watch it go through, through the blues and the pinks and finally to the ambers and then, you know, almost, almost white or, or very close to it. Um, so uh, let's, let's see what you do with, with Magic Hour. I think now, it was David the- Lawrence's that I liked. Okay. Uh, those of you who shoot primarily black and white, let's see what you do with this. Ooh. Uh, a lot of great reflections though. It does make things a little more complicated. Yeah. 
Yeah, reflections in black and white that works, but uh, magic, magic hour. I th- I think it'll still work. It still works because it's not just the color of the light; it's also the quality of the light. Right, uh, and that's sort of uh, makes things a little different, you know. Right. So yeah. let's let's see what you do with that magic hour. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to the group. In fact, I'll do that right now. Oops. Okay. Yeah, we could totally. I'll, yeah, I'll do that. Good stuff. Uh, and and tell tell your friends about about this. We're close. Have we not passed? No, we're six away from eleven hundred. So that's a lot of people. You know, I I wanted to get eleven hundred over the weekend, and you know, you, you guys, guys all left, failed me. <laughs> you guys left me hanging. So thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, hey, I'm here every week. Are you? Come on now. <laughs> uh, Chris Van Valet had had some really nice ones too. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of good ones in here. Uh, yeah, there's some great uh, Holger putting up some great stuff. Uh, Gavin Wu putting up some great stuff. Yep. Um, as I'm just flipping through this, Casey. Uh, yeah, what uh, David Lawrence? That's sure. a nice one with the yep. drinking fountains. I like that a lot. Uh, and thank you guys for the uh, for the dumpster pictures, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is. About yeah, but you dumpsters. can't you it can't just... add it to your collection. No, if it's no, no. See, that's the thing. Don't 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 start don't start taking my juice here because <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, in fact, I got another one yesterday of a dumpster that I think is kind of fun. I took a picture of a dumpster that I think is fun. Quote I the, like quote of the day. Ugh, whatever. <laughs> uh, David yeah. Gardner. Did you see that picture of that monkey? Uh, I. It's like this this sort of ginger colored monkey. I don't know what kind of monkey. Sorry, cultural anthropologists or yeah, whatever. Nice job. Yeah, sorry. Uh, against kind of a blue green soft back. It's really nice. Really nice. Great light. And just a, a an introspective moment captured of this of this monkey. Some talented people in this world. Thinking about should I fling poo or should I not? <laughs> Wait, that's what mm. you were thinking while looking no, at the, the monkey. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, photographer of the week. What do you got? You you chose this. Okay, now I'm gonna we're gonna have a little discussion here. How do you pronounce her first name? I've heard it pronounced two ways. Uh, I have heard it pronounced Deanne and Diane. I right. tend to pronounce it Diane, but maybe it is Deanne. I don't know. I See, the people I've heard say Deanne makes me think that there must be a reason why they say that, and it must be because that's how she wanted it pronounced. Because why else would you say Deanne when everyone else in the world is Diane? You know? Uh, like, know. you know, your parents must have wanted to spell your name the way it is. You know what I mean? Yes, although my father misspelled his middle name his entire life. What was his middle name? Alan. How do you spell it? A-L-L-E-N. Okay. But what is it on his birth certificate? A-L-A-N. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So he's, he had his last name sort of more as the, the, the la- he had his middle name more as the last name spelling when in reality it was more the first name spelling. Sure. <laughs> anyway, photographer of the week, uh, Deanne Arbus. Yeah. Good stuff. You like Deanne Arbus? I like her work a lot. Yes. Okay. Um, now do you, do you think that some of it is the, is the, um, 
intrigue of 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 her death and and short life and all that kind of stuff? No. Okay. Not for me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I just think her I think I am fascinated by what she found interesting. Okay. I I don't have that filter. I don't have that grid over the way I look at the world. So I uh, I'm fascinated to see through her eyes via her work. Yeah. 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 She had a very, um, she had a very strange, I mean, she did that whole sort of on, I guess she, she called them freaks. Did she ever, I think she used that term, but it's just, you know, like the, the giant guy with his and the identical twins and, right. you know, uh, all that stuff. Those are like classic stuff. And her stuff, man, goes for a lot of money. Half a yeah. million dollars for these prints at auction. The, the way she framed things was very interesting. There, there was not a lot of room for the outside world. Oh, you think she tightened things up in such a way that, 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 okay. I never noticed that, or I never thought about it that way. Let me, let me, let me pull up a bunch of stuff. You think you, she just shot tight? You mean? Yeah. Her photos are, are, they are they are sort of microcosms in and of themselves. We don't see on on many of her photographs. We don't see the world that these subjects inhabit. They themselves become the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. She had a very she 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 seemed to hang out with a, a an interesting crew of people. Mm-hmm. People who were not she she liked the edges of society. Yes. Um, the sort of fringe. Yeah. Um, do you think that sometimes that angle is, is overused the whole fringes of society thing that some people are doing it on purpose to get noticed because they're taking pictures of fringes of society. You know, see what I'm saying? I think now it, it can be sure. Yeah. But I think then, you know, (laughs) we've got to remember that, that seeing somebody walking around, with a camera kit in the forties and fifties was not Very nearly as, as common as yeah. it is now. That's why, that's why taking pictures street photography now is very different than street photography 50 years ago. Sure. You know, you know it's, it's almost like uh, in uh, catch me if you can. Yep. When, when Leo first sees a pilot and, and you know, the, 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 the little girl, you know, comes up and says, can I have your autograph? Yep. You know, and then they had the uniform and the, the, you know, the hat and the epaulets and the little pin and, yeah. and it was uncommon. You didn't, you didn't, these people were, were somehow different and outside of the normal realm of, of how you lived your life. It was, it was a treat to get your picture taken. Sure. Where now it feels like people are trying to protect themselves from getting their picture taken a lot of times. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I there was a really one great, of the reasons I find her work interesting. Yeah. There was ahead. a really great scene in the genius photography where they're talking to William Klein and he was saying that, you know, it used to be that you'd go out and take pictures. People would be clamoring to get in front of the lens. Right. Where now they're try they're clamoring to shade themselves from the lens. And is it because they don't want their photograph taken or is it because we are all, or many of us are, are only too aware of where that photo could end up. And we don't want to look like 
We don't want to be the butt of your joke on Facebook or, or YouTube yeah, if, or if we're making a weird face because we just ate a, you know, a Sour Patch Kid. Right. Right. Is it is it is it not? It, it's not that we don't want our photograph taken. It's it's the sort of ambush journalism haphazard way that you're taking the photograph and where it could possibly end up. Is that is that? One yeah, of but you know, what, even if you ask, there's a lot of people who would say, well, what are you going to use it for? You know, there mm-hmm. are, there's automatically that sort of, well, what's in it for me sort of sure. thing, um, which I don't know that it was that way back in the day. Right. Um, um, maybe it's a zeitgeist thing. Maybe it's overexposure to use a bad pun. Um, wah, 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 wah. Yeah. Um, did you ever see fur? Did you ever see that movie? Yes. What'd you think of that? Um, so this, okay. was, this was a, a sort of a. Uh, imaginary portrait of of Dean Arbus and her husband earlier in their lives, and their next door neighbor uh, has whatever that disease is that makes you sort of like the uh, where hair grows all over your body. Yeah, played by Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, and they end up falling in love in this whole weird thing, but it's very trippy. I saw it like at midnight or one o'clock in the morning on like HBO one night like ten years ago, and I was like, "What the heck is this?" Yeah, <laughs> uh, not what I expected it to be. No, yeah. not at all. Um, Not at all. But yeah, so she ended up having some serious depression and, and whatnot. And uh, in the end, um, uh, you know, she she took drugs and, and killed herself uh, with a razor. Um, so it's it's at 48 years old, which, you know, is an interesting thing, because I feel like as I get older, I really am mellowing out in some way. You know what I mean? Like, I, um, I, not, not having known you, okay, you, years you ago, I don't, know. I don't have any perspective. Uh, I guess what I mean is that if, if I had any thoughts about ending my life, they happened when I was younger, not when I'm getting older. Oh, okay. You know, uh, not that I was ever down that road, but like, you know, they're, they're, you know, you imagine crazy things and you're super depressed and whatever it is like, but even when I'm super depressed now, I don't think about it that way. I don't, I don't think it has to always come from depression. I think it, I think it can come from a number of things. I, I think it can come from boredom. I think it can come from the idea of I've experienced X, Y, and Z. Is the rest of my life going to just be repeating these experiences to a lesser degree than I experienced them in the first place? Yeah, maybe. I, there, there's no maybe. I but I think, but I think the world, the world a is a, the world is a very, yeah, but at age 48, you mean like when you're an older person? I mean, I've gone through that. Okay. See, but the world is a big place and there's always bigger experiences than what you've had. Sure you there really are. And it's, it. you know, it's a, it's, what's the adage? It's a, it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, you know, as I always find interesting is the little piece of trivia that she, the, the guy she was married to, uh, Alan, I think his name was right. Um, was later in his life became an actor and was the guy who played the shrink on mash. Right. Whose, whose character I always liked, uh, something about his character on mash. I always like really made me happy in some way. Mm. Um, like I always thought the, the character was good. The actor was good. Um, and so whenever I see her now, I was just like, there's no way that that's the same guy. And it turns out it really is. Yep. Um, so anyway, Dean Arbus, very much a, an icon for a lot of the female photographers I know. Do you have you ever found that? Mm-hmm. Um, do you think there should be that kind of thing? 
like a, 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 a separation, a gender separation in, in, in role models. Um, Hmm. I don't, I don't really like, I don't, I don't see it that way. I don't, I don't like someone's work because they're male or female. Yeah. I mean, I, if, if I like the work, I like the, uh, oftentimes I don't, I don't know who's behind it until I go research it. I don't know. I don't know who's behind, you know, photographers that I've never seen before. I only ex- experience the work. I only right. see the work. And then I go look and say, well, who is this? Um, I don't know. I think good work is good work. And I think bad work is bad work. And neither one should be uh, unrealistically elevated nor, nor criticized just based on, you know, whether you're male or female. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah like I, I have, I have role models that are of all genders and ethnicities and whatever. Like sure. I, don't, I don't really see it as distinguishing things and, you know, like I'm partly British, partly German. I don't look at British and German photographers as anything, you know, they don't, they don't get a leg up in my mind just because they're like me of some similar descent, you know? Right. Uh, I just find that stuff fascinating. It's also interesting yeah. that they were photographers for, I mean, she it was only until, you know, the early sixties that she really became no, I mean, she was doing stuff for magazines, her and her husband for 20 years. Um, but you know, for a long time they were just, they were, shooting for 17 and glamor and Vogue. And, you know, they hated the fashion world, but they did it. And you know what I mean? That kind of stuff. Um, and, and it's, it's interesting though, that like for, you know, they were in it for 10, 15 years before they became something known outside of the little world of, of that right. photography, you know, I, I wonder, you know, contemporary female photographers are, are, are they looking at, female photographers as their role models or just good photography? Not, not that there's a separation. I don't mean to imply that. The, the, well, but, the, but, the ones that I know seem to be doing it are drawn to it because they are women. Okay. I think so. I, I, so I, would, would uh, Mary Ellen Mark's work or Nan Golden's work or, you know, would that carry less weight if they were, if those photographs were made by men? For for, the, they, for for women, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. or yeah. or is it the sensibility of what they shot or how they shot that somehow right. speaks to them more? Yeah, I guess you could, could never know. Could, you know, could Sally Mann's work have only been captured by Sally Mann because because she's seeing her grid is different just by the nature that she's a woman? Yeah. I don't know. His Sally Mann's real name Salvatore, which people didn't really <laughs> know right. that it's always been a man <laughs> yeah, all along. Yeah, yeah. Sal. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyways, go check it out. Uh, I I come to I think there are a number of pictures that I like of Dean Arbus's, and then uh, sometimes I feel like she's a little overrated. But that's just my personal take on it. Yeah, I, I like her stuff, and I and in fact she's she's on my list of people. I don't own any books by her, um, but she I, I have her on my list of of photo books that I want. You know, other than her pictures that are the famous ones that everyone knows, you know, the kid with the grenade and all that stuff. Uh, and the giant and the twins. I don't know that I'd be able to pick out her pictures on a wall without looking at the label. Hmm. Um, I don't know what that, if that means anything, I just, you know, I look at her pictures and I go, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have automatically thought that that was hers. You know, I don't know if that means anything, but interesting. 
Yeah, I, I I like her sensibility a lot. And again, I like that that you know, as I said before, the way she composed or framed pictures, we see we see the entirety of that character's world because we see only that character. Right. Yep. And I, I really like that a lot. It's good stuff. Yeah, it is. Um, anything else before we wrap up? Uh, no, buy books. Buy, buy lots of books. Uh, podcast books at ontakingpictures.com. Yes. Uh, at Bill Wadman and at Jeffrey Sidoris. Yep. Twitter, uh, faded and blurred, billwadman.com slash blog. Anything else? Uh, the phone number 347-687-9411 if you want to leave us a message, which we always like. Yeah, we love those. And uh, we'll put a link to the uh, to the uh, group. Uh, or you can just go on Google Plus and search for on taking pictures, and I'm sure you'll find it. Uh, I think that's about it, right? I think so. Okay. Yeah, thank you for listening. Uh, if you've got uh, ideas, send them in. You've got comments, criticisms, send them in. Yep. Uh, questions. Excellent. Until next week. Yep. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. Say what you wanna say I know what you will say will